Good morning and welcome to worship. It is indeed a blessing for us to be together, be able to gather as God's people in this place, in this time, and to hear from him, seek to see his face and to hear his word. I'm Pastor Ann, for those of you who may not know me, and I am honored to serve alongside Pastor Andy here at the Way Woodstock and um, serve this community. We are indeed committed to sharing in hope, living with purpose for the sake of others. Today we are midway through looking at the ten words of life, the ten commandments. Following these words, these commandments are what we need to do in order to be able to experience life as God intended. Yet, I don't know about you, but as far as I'm concerned, so far in this series, I think we've all probably been shown that while we think we're following these commandments, when we take a closer look, we may more clearly see how we, like many others throughout time, have failed to be faithful. I found myself feeling a renewed sense of gratitude that Jesus fulfilled the law and that I am covered and you are covered with his righteousness. So we don't have to be righteous on our own. He has covered us. And then I also felt a renewed sense of excitement that through the power of the Holy Spirit in that thing called transformation, that we can become more aware of where we're being tempted to follow a way other than Jesus's way, and we can allow God to transform our hearts so that we are indeed growing in the likeness of our Lord and Savior. Jesus came to bring us life, and he came to bring it to us abundantly. In today's message, From Violence to Peace, we're going to be looking at the sixth word. Please join me as we hear the word of God from Exodus 20, verse 13. You shall not murder. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, this is um, one of those words that we think, okay, I got this one. <laughs> but Lord, um, I ask that you open our hearts and open our minds and open our ears and eyes to see um, where we don't got this one. Because um, it's only as we can see clearly where we're not walking in the footsteps of Jesus that we can make other choices, Lord, and turn back to you. So, Lord, we just ask that you be with us. We know you are. We thank you for that. And we pray all of this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Now, some versions of Scripture say, you shall not murder, while others say, you shall not kill. Is there a difference? Well, actually, there is. And it is defined for us in Holy Scripture, in the book of Numbers, the 35th chapter. So hear the word of God. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, 
When you cross the Jordan into Canaan, select some towns to be your cities of refuge, to which a person who has killed someone accidentally may flee. They will be places of refuge from the avenger, so that anyone accused of murder may not die before they stand trial before the assembly. These six towns you give will be your cities of refuge. Give three on this side of the Jordan and three in Canaan as cities of refuge. These six towns will be a place of refuge for Israelites and for foreigners residing among them, so that anyone who has killed another accidentally can flee there. Now, a person kills another when they do something that deprives another of their life. That's the definition of killing. You have deprived someone of their life. If this is an accident, it's not considered murder, although they have still taken the life of another. Even way back then, the person was to stand trial to determine whether it was murder or not. There was due process, and to be convicted of murder had a pretty high standard. There had to be two or three witnesses who would attest to the fact. Murder was described in the verses that followed those earlier verses that I read to you. So verse 16 continues. If someone strikes someone with a fatal blow with an iron object, that person is a murderer. The murderer is to be put to death. Or if anyone is holding a stone and strikes someone a fatal blow with it, That person is a murderer. The murderer is to be put to death. Or if anyone is holding a wooden object and strikes someone a fatal blow with it, that person is a murderer. The murderer is to be put to death. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death. When the avenger comes upon the murderer, the avenger shall put the murderer to death. If anyone with malice aforethought shoves another or throws something at them intentionally so that they die, or if out of enmity one person hits another with their fist so that the other person dies, that person is to be put to death. That person is a murderer. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when they meet. Sounds pretty clear, huh? If there's intention, if someone with anger and in their heart kills another person, that is murder. We see in these verses that God values life, but he also values a pure heart. Only a person who intentionally and deliberately killed another, one whose heart was hardened and controlled by the evil one, was sentenced to death. And then, only if there are two or more witnesses. A person who killed without intention was to spend their life in the city of the refuge. And this was for a determined amount of time until the death of the high priest. 
God ends these scriptures with these words. Verse 33 of, um, of Numbers 35. Do not pollute the land where you are. Bloodshed pollutes the land. And atonement cannot be made for the land on which blood has been shed, except by the blood of the one who shed it. Do not defile the land where you live and where I dwell, for I, the Lord, dwell among the Israelites. Bloodshed pollutes the land. Our land has been polluted. We see in these scriptures that God is concerned with justice. He protects one accused until they have a fair trial. Now you might be thinking, I've never killed anybody or murdered anyone. So what has this got to do with me? But it's not a simple issue. There is indeed violence all around us. And if we're truly honest with ourselves even within us. Just like all the other words, we can easily justify killing as well. Joan Chittister, a Benedictine nun, states it this way, and I quote, Of all the commandments, do not kill, is the one we keep least carefully, most cavalierly. We make up reasons all the time to kill. We kill to preserve the state. We kill to protect ourselves. We kill to punish wrongdoers. We kill to enforce authority. We kill for political reasons. And finally, we kill whole segments of society strip their lands, rape their forests, soil their air to satisfy whole other segments of society. (laughs) You shall not kill? Hardly. End quote. Is Joan Chittister right? Do we really come up with exceptions so easily? Think of the issues of our day. Capital punishment, abortion, gun rights and self-protection, war. Think about the divisions within our own country. I know I can get myself really worked up when I see perceived things that are happening as injustice occurring within our country. And I struggle with the idea of evil and accountability. Without accountability for our actions, our country can quickly fall into chaos, as we have seen over the past few years. Now, many use this Old Testament scripture as justification for capital punishment. Is God trying to get us to recognize that all life belongs to him and that murder is a violation of God's right and that the only way to respond to such a violation is with the life of the murderer? Or 
Is it possible? Is it possible that he's trying to help us recognize something else? We do need to look at this scripture in context. God has called the Israelite people to be his people, a people set apart. He does not want them to be like those around them. He wants them to live differently from the world around them, to be a light to others to follow. So could it be, is it possible that with this commandment, you shall not kill, God wants us to see how very much he values human life, all human life. Could God be telling us that we are all that important to him? Could God be trying to remind us that every human being is created in his image and that he is the one who determines life or death? Well, that's the Old Testament. Let's move to the New Testament. Let's see what Jesus has to say about the issue of murder and killing. Let's see if Jesus can help us get more clarity on this issue. Now, we might remember that Jesus has a way of sometimes turning everything upside down from the way that we see it. He helps us to see things from God's perspective instead of from our own self-centered, worldly perspective. He helps us see things that the things that we value may not be the same thing that God values. So Jesus starts to help us see differently early in his ministry with what has become known as the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 3 through 10. Hear the words of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Different from what we think of when we think of blessed. Did you catch it, though? In the midst of that, he says, blessed are the peacemakers. Now, I don't know about you, but with all the divisiveness in our society, I certainly think that we are in desperate need of more peacemakers. A little later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addresses murder and killing by taking it to a whole different level. In verse 21, he continues, 
You have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Now, I've always found it interesting that Jesus tells us that if our brother or sister has something against us, we're to leave. He doesn't say if we're angry and we've got something against somebody else, We're to go and try to be reconciled. No, he's saying if somebody has something against you, you're to go and try to be reconciled. Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter. Our hearts are the heart of the matter. All of our hearts Yours, mine, and the hearts of those with whom we disagree or are in conflict. We're to try to solve the conflict by respecting and trying to understand one another and by working together. We're called to live differently from the world around us. Jesus has just instructed us to become peacemakers whenever there is conflict. But how do we go about being a peacemaker? Only, only with the help of God on our own, we're going to be lopsided. He is with us and he will help us. When we ask, the first thing we've got to do to be a peacemaker is we have to recognize that every human being was created in the image of God and everyone is important to him. Even those we don't agree with and even those that we consider our enemy. And what was it Jesus told us to do about our enemies? Matthew 5, 43 to 47, he tells us. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing this? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? 
Do not even the pagans do that? The second thing we need to remember is Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, to us is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We need to acknowledge and ask the Prince of Peace to rule in our heart. We can pray Ephesians 4, 31 to 32, asking Jesus to help us. Ephesians 31 says, get out, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. And then verse 32 tells us what we are to do. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. And then when conflict arises, we're to be active, not just stand aside and let it happen. We need to be willing, first off, to confess our part in conflict and move toward reconciliation. Try to see all sides and understand why people think, feel, and believe as they do. We need to be willing to confront wrongs and to seek forgiveness. We need to also be gentle and listen and be slow and careful in how we respond. And last but certainly not least, we need to refuse to resort to violence to deal with conflict. Now, I want to go a little bit more in that. You know, when we think of violence, most of the time we think about actions. You know, hitting people, kicking people, violent actions. But I want us to remember that our words have power too. And our words can kill someone's spirit just as easily as our actions can. So when we deal with conflict... Let's remember that even in the midst of conflict, we're brothers and sisters. That's another person created in the image of God. And even though I might not agree with them, and even though I might not like what they're doing, they are created in the image of God. They're not whatever name we might call them. They're another human being created in the image of God. Jesus came to bring us life and to bring us life to the full. He laid down his life for his enemies and suffered violence at their hands. Not once in the midst of all his teaching, in the midst of all his interactions with the people of his time, Did he display violence? And when you think about Rome, and they were under Roman rule, and you think about how violent they were, not once did Jesus resort to violence in 
in talking to them or dealing with them. No, instead, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. As we walk with Jesus, may the Holy Spirit lead us to do likewise. Let us pray. Father God, it is so easy for us to take sides. It's so easy for us to see others as bad. It is so easy. But Lord, you came that we may see differently. So Lord, we just ask that you continue to lead God and direct us. In every situation we find ourselves in, that we might always seek to grow in the likeness of Jesus, that we may always ask the Holy Spirit, What would you have me do? What would you have me say? Where would you have me go? And Lord, may we always, always walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is in his name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. I'd like to ask you to stand and pray together with me the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to life eternal. Amen.